There are many texts to preach Christmas from the glory of the incarnation of Christ. I preached it from Hebrews and Colossians and Galatians, even Proverbs of all places, as I looked back. But Matthew's Gospel contains the classic text, the classic account of the Christmas story that we read at every Christmas party and that I delight in reading even in public as we gather for our Christmas party at restaurants. And we have found that this basic declaration of the birth of Jesus Christ is not just true and not just celebratory, but it offends the world as it has been read publicly, just merely read, not preached, not expounded. And we have found that it is an offense to those who have not bent their knee to Christ. And so I pray this day it would not be an offense to you, but an encouragement and a blessing to you. But if you find any of God's word to be offensive, be sure that it is you who must change and not the word of God. And so may God move in each one of us to make us receptive to his word. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 follows the genealogy given there in Matthew's gospel. I'll not take the time to read the genealogy, but in verse 1 it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we see there the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the earthly sense laid out. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he fulfills both the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. And he is the Christ, the anointed rightful heir and king of Israel. But we know he has much more. He is the the Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of the cosmos, the King of planet earth, the King of every man and woman and child. But then we come to verse 18, after that human genealogy going back to David and back to Abraham, we come to verse 18, read with me there please. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. The incarnation of God as told by Matthew. Five points from this text. Five birth announcements. Five distinct and unique Birth announcements are found in this text. But before we get to them, let's pause just a moment and ask, what came before the birth 
of Jesus Christ? And we'll just address this quickly. We certainly could spend the rest of our lives answering that question. But quickly, what came before it? The creation, of course. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus, we find in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus is the Creator. He created all things. The Word created all things. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. So the creation, and God made all things holy, all things good. And then the fall, the fall of mankind. And in Adam and Eve, we all fell. And then the blood sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve's sin. The blood sacrifice that God made there in the garden as a likeness of all the blood sacrifices that would follow. And in particular, Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb that would cover the sins of the world. Some from every tongue, tribe, and nation. The blood sacrifice of Abel over the works of Cain. We find the first two sons representing all of mankind and all of religion. Abel came with blood sacrifice, again depicting Christ who would come. Cain came with the works of his hands, depicting all of man's dead systems of religiosity that can never save, that can never cleanse of sin. And we see the war between dead religion and the true faith of God and the true salvation through the blood sacrifice that God would provide. We see that war begin in the first two sons as Cain rose up to slay Abel. And that war is raged ever since and all of man's religions all of man's religions are summed up in this they are man's works man's hands and the true faith the true religion of god is the work of jesus christ his hands pierced for our iniquities and so the blood sacrifice of abel over the works of cain next the long war between salvation by faith and the blood sacrifice that god would provide and salvation of works as exemplified by cain's murder of his brother Abel. Then we see the flood. The Lord brought a worldwide judgment upon mankind, unleashing his just wrath upon sinners. And then the promise in the rainbow that he would not again bring such a destruction upon mankind through water. We see after that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God called Abraham to himself that he might make a people through his lineage and Jacob was made Israel and Israel's 12 tribes began to follow after God under the Abrahamic covenant a promise of a land and a seed and a blessing ultimately that would be fulfilled in eternity in Jesus Christ then we see Moses the great prophet of God bringing a great covenant a covenant ratified with blood Bringing the Ten Commandments, the commandments that reveal our sin. The law is perfect, converting the soul. The law is a tutor to bring men to Christ, to be justified by faith. We see the priesthood and the tabernacle and the temple to follow and the sacrifices within that temple. When Solomon dedicated his temple, he sacrificed 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats, that's 142,000 beasts and the blood 
flowed all a type of Christ to come. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, no forgiveness, no removal, no propitiation, no atonement, because the life of the flesh is in the blood, and the Lord has given it upon the altar to make atonement for sin, because the wage of sin is death. The wage of sin is death. Thus God gave a blood sacrifice, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. We see this unfolding. The ancient historian Josephus recorded a Passover sacrifice in the time of Emperor Nero's reign of 256,000 sheep. One Passover, 256,000 sheep. The blood flowed. The prophets followed the law. And the prophets foretold the coming of the suffering one, the coming of the Christ, the coming of he who would be the final high priest and the final sacrifice, who would allow sinful man to put him on a cross that his blood would flow. He suffered, he died, and he rose again. Sealing, ratifying, as the great prophet that Moses foretold, saying that a prophet like him would come. And indeed, Jesus is that prophet coming with a covenant ratified in blood. The new covenant ratified with his own blood. Pronouncing upon the cross, it is finished. Bowing his head and giving up the spirit. Following that New Covenant. We have the intertestament period of prophetic silence for 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. God fell silent. The law stood, the priesthood stood, the temple stood, and the blood flowed every day. Every day. Until... Christ came. Joy to the world came. And indeed, we sing joy to the world. And we will close with joy to the world. Let's read what we've already sung. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. Joy to the world. Interrupted 400 years of silence and still, saints, we sing His glories and we will sing His glories until He returns again to rule and reign upon this earth and we will sing His glories for all of eternity. Without Christ's incarnation, there is really truly no joy. There is no peace. There is 
no lasting victory over sin, there is no victory over death. Without the incarnation of Christ fulfilling all the types that began in the garden, that began with God's sacrifice in Genesis 3 to cover Adam and Eve's sin, that was continued with Abel's sacrifice, that was continued with Job's sacrifice, that was continued throughout the history of Israel and the tabernacle and then the temple and fulfilled in Christ. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there's no hope, there is no joy, and there is no peace. With the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is hope, there is joy, and there is peace forever with God. This is the significance of the enfleshment of God, of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Five birth announcements. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18a. We're going to split it in the middle here, not even really in the middle. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, we'll stop it right there, was as follows, is what comes before the colon. But now the birth of Jesus Christ. The King is born. The King is born. His last name is not Christ. He is Jesus the Christ. He is Jesus the anointed one of God. He is Jesus the rightful heir of the throne of David. King of Israel, the Jewish Messiah, meaning king, ruler, anointed one. The king is born. The king of Israel is born. The king of the cosmos is born. The king of you and the king of me. I love to preach the kingship of Christ in Christ's church and in Christ's earth. I love to preach the kingship of Christ in every city the Lord allows me to lift up their king. I, I particularly love to preach the kingship of Christ in Portland with Portland's boast of being the most atheist city in America. I love to preach that it's Christ's city and you are Christ's creature and your knee will bend. Oh, that you would bend it now. Oh, that you would bend your knee now and confess Him as Lord and be saved by King Jesus, your King, your Lord, your lead, your Master. And He will be your Savior if you'll repent to confess Him as Lord. But you must understand, He will always be your King. And if you'll not repent, He'll be your King and your Lord and your Master and your Creator and your Judge. And He'll cast you into judgment forever and ever. The first announcement of His birth is that the King is born. Now the birth of Jesus Christ. He is no mere man. He is not born as a mere man. He is the king. We've already read Matthew 1.1 in our introduction of this book, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Christ is tied to that declaration, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the Christ. He is the King. He's the one that all of Israel was to be waiting for. He's the one that all of Israel should have been expecting, but missed in their hardness of heart and blindness of eye. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
Joseph of the house of David. Well, Joseph is not the earthly father in the natural sense of the Lord Jesus. He is the legal father of the Lord Jesus, husband to Mary, and thus gives the Lord Jesus that path, that line of David in his lineage legally. And we understand from Luke's gospel as well, being the genealogy of Mary, that Mary is also of the line of David. And so both father and mother of the line of David and Jesus comes from that line of David and is the rightful heir to the throne of David, the house of David. The king is born That's what these genealogies are establishing. They're establishing who he is. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the king that we have been waiting for. Prophecy declared him. Thus Israel should have been expecting him. And as Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. A rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And that is the Lord Jesus coming from the line of David, a rod, a branch. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. So this branch This branch that is called a rod and a branch in Isaiah 11, verse 1, this branch that is of David is a king, and he shall reign, and he shall prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. He shall reign, he shall prosper, he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Not just in Israel, not just in Jerusalem, not just in the Middle East, but in the earth. Verse 6 In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now, I believe the fullness of that is yet to come, and I believe God will keep his promises. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. If you want a fuller account of that, look to Romans chapter 11. But get this. Now, this is his name by which he will be called. So who is this branch of righteousness? Who is this one of the line of David? Who is this king? And what is his name? This is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh our righteousness. This is the name of Jesus, Yahweh, the proper name for God the Father, for they are one. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They share the same proper name, Yahweh. Jesus' name is Yahweh. Our righteousness. It's the name of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, and the gospel of Jesus. Yahweh, our righteousness. How do we have any claim on righteousness? How will we find entrance into heaven? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, our sins imputed to Him on the cross. It is finished. He pays the debt in full, and His righteousness imputed to us. Yahweh's own righteousness imputed to us. Yahweh, our righteousness, the branch of David, the King of Israel, our Lord, our Savior, King Jesus. Jeremiah 23 Verses 5 through 6. In Matthew 2, 2, we'll move quickly here. It says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The wise men come looking for who? King 
of the Jews. In Matthew 25, 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Jesus is speaking here, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Our king will say to those on the right, those who have been purchased by his blood, Come and inherit the kingdom. In Matthew 27, verse 11, Pilate's question, it says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. I love it. It is as you say. He makes Pilate own it. Are you the king of the Jews? Oh, yes. As you say, it is true. I am the king of the Jews. Matthew 27, 27, we find the soldiers mocking. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole garrison around him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Oh, saints, when the King of Kings comes again, he'll not be mocked. He'll not be spit on. He'll not be beaten. When the King of Kings comes again, he'll come on a great white horse. You know what it'll say on his thigh? King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And every knee will bow either in judgment or in grace, receiving him in faith. In Matthew 27, 37, it says, They put up over his head the accusation written against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. They put that over his head upon the cross. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And they meant to mock him, but it was true. The King of the Jews came to suffer and die that he might save Judah. And bring peace to Israel. That he might save some from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The king of the Jews came to suffer and die. Thus Yahweh would be our righteousness. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Matthew 27, 41, it says, Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Do you see, that was the crux of the issue. He claimed to be king. That was how his enemies forced the hand of Pilate. He seeks to overthrow you, O governor. He seeks to overthrow the emperor of Rome. He's a usurper. He claims to be king. Oh, you must crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. We have no Lord but Caesar. They denied their king. And they crucified their king. And in God's providence, it said, King of the Jews over his head as he hung there upon the cross. Yahweh, our righteousness. Oh, the amazing grace of God. Playing out. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13, we're called to wait for our king. It says, I urge you in the sight of our God, 
who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, absolute ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. You will exist forever, but you don't possess immortality. God possesses innate immortality. It's part of his being. And because he is immortal, he will sustain you created in his image forever. Either as a being under his wrath in hell or a being under his grace and mercy and love in heaven. But he, Jesus, as God of very gods, has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. We're to be waiting for our king's appearing. And in Revelation 5, 5, it says, But the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And in context, in Revelation 5, 5, that scroll is the deed to the earth, the deed to the cosmos. And Jesus is the creator of the earth, the creator of the cosmos, and the king of it all has due authority to open that scroll. And we find in Revelation 19, as I've already mentioned, when the Lord Jesus comes to subdue man's sinful uprising against God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He comes on a great white horse, says Revelation 19.11. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all of God's saints said, Amen! The King is born, dear saints! The King is born! And your bulletin is... An exhortation from George Whitfield regarding Christmas. And he speaks there, I'll, I'll not read it all, but he speaks of the fact that, that they in their day, in the second paragraph, he says, For God could not nor can receive any additional good by our salvation, but it was love, mere love, it was free love that brought the Lord Jesus into our world about 1,700 years ago. What? Shall we not remember the birth of our Jesus? Shall we yearly celebrate the birth of our temporal king, our earthly king? They were subject to a king in his day. And shall that the king of kings be quite forgotten? Shall that only which ought to be had chiefly in remembrance be quite forgotten? God forbid! No, my dear brethren, let us celebrate and keep this festival of our church with joy in our hearts. Let the birth of our Redeemer, which redeemed us from sin, from wrath, from death, from hell, be always remembered. May this Savior's love never be forgotten, but may we sing forth all His love and glory as long as life shall last here and through an endless eternity in the world above. I'll leave you to read the rest on your own after the service, but that's evangelist 
George Whitfield, one of the premier evangelists of Christ's church since the apostle Paul, exhorting us to celebrate the birth of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, even as we would dare celebrate the birth of an earthly king or the birth of one of our own children, our own birthday, will we not celebrate the birth of the king of the cosmos? Oh, saints, the king is born. Five birth announcements. The king is born. Secondly, the holy one is born. The holy one is born. Verse 18b, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. This is no mere child. This child is not the product of the love expressed between Mary and Joseph. This is no natural conception or childbirth. This child is conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thus he is holy He did not receive from His Father the sin nature that man possesses. He is known as the second Adam, born without sin. He is the child of the Holy Spirit. The Holy One is conceived, and thus the Holy One is born. And thus He is the Holy One, can suffer and die in our place, taking upon Himself our sins and the wrath of God that they deserve. In Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. This is God, the Father, speaking to the devil and to the woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed or your seed and her seed. Her seed. And if your Bible doesn't capitalize that, it ought to. It's Jesus. It's not just the general seed of woman, mankind. It's Jesus, the seed. The seed of woman, what is that? That is unique in biblical-inspired text. It is speaking to the virgin-born Son, the Son of Mary, Jesus, the Holy One. In Luke 1.35, the angel visits Mary and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, because this child is conceived of the Holy Spirit, this child is the Holy One. The Holy One who would come into this world to save unholy ones like you and I. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, it says, For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for other people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints... As high priests, men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Jesus is the great high priest with the great sacrifice of himself, the perfect sacrifice. Not a lamb without blemish brought from the field from amongst other lambs. No, the lamb without blemish in the ultimate sense, the lamb of God. As John 1, 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Those millions of sheep that died 
were all types, all pictures of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The reason in God's providence, the Roman general Titus came and conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and burned it and took the gold out of the very rocks, demolished it, was because the temple system was over, the priesthood was over, and because Israel rejected their Messiah, and so God brought judgment. But there is no temple, there is no priesthood, and there is no sacrifice, for Christ offered Himself up not in the holy of holies of this earth, but the holy of holies of heaven before God the Father, and His shed blood is sufficient. It is sufficient. It is finished to die, For He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29, because He's the Holy One who is born, He is a sufficient Savior. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The five birth announcements, the King is born, the Holy One is born. Third, the Savior is born. The Savior is born. Verse 19 through 21. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Savior is born. This King, this Holy One is the Savior. His name, His very name, saints, means Savior. Again, I love to preach these truths in the open air, but I love to preach them with you too. Let us not forget this. Don't let the familiarity of the story of the birth of Jesus Christ numb you to the glory. Hear the glory. Receive the glory. Don't become so familiar with Christmas hymns because you're playing them day and night, I trust, right? That you miss the glory therein. I love it. Last year, in the midst of Costco, they're playing this glorious hymn. And I just stopped and I, I got my phone out. I just recorded. I just love the public proclamation. In years past, I've been at the mall. We don't get to the mall too much, but been to the mall and they're there singing hymns that magnify our King, our Lord, our Savior in the public sphere. It's beautiful. Don't get numb to it. Praise God for it. Praise God. The Savior is born. So Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example. What's that mean? Well, it would seem that she was unfaithful. It would seem there was an infidelity here. It would seem that there was an act of adultery here during this betrothal time, which was meant to prove out the opposite. And yet that was not the case. It was a miracle of God. But how is Joseph to know that, right? No one should believe a young lady who says, oh, no, it was a miracle. (laughs) Right? I imagine there's been a few young ladies who might say such. But no, this was the true work of God in accordance with prophecy. The virgin shall bear a child. But how is Joseph to know that? Verse 20, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. That's how. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you marry your wife. Don't be afraid. There's not been an infidelity. This is not a case of adultery. Don't be afraid to take to you marry your wife. 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, in the original language, it's Yeshua. But Jesus is fine. But Yeshua, Jesus, he shall save their people from their sins. That's what his name means. That's what it means. He shall save his people from their sins. And his people are made up of some from every tribe and tongue and nation. Praise be to God. The Savior is born. Isaiah 53, 11 says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 6 lead to Isaiah 53, 11. The Savior, this virgin-born child, is the suffering servant, is the pierced one. And by His knowledge, my righteous servant, my righteous servant, the holy child that is born, my righteous servant shall justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. Literally bear the iniquities of a literal people and literally take the wrath of God, the just penalty of sin for those specific sinners and their specific sins and to pay the debt specifically and literally in full and pronounce it finished. Not potential, not general, not generic, literal, specific, and glorious. My righteous servant shall justify many. That's not a universal justification. It's not a universal atonement. It's a limited atonement as declared by Scripture. My righteous servant shall justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. It's not a potential justification. It's an actual justification. It is finished, not it is started. Hey, why don't you guys finish this for me? We'll see how it all works out in the end. No, it is finished. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He paid a price for a people. Each and every one whom he has purchased, they will come. They will confess. They will repent. They will believe. They will be saved. They will be given ears to hear and eyes to see. Read that new covenant. I don't have time now, but read that new covenant we talked about earlier. It's a monergistic covenant. It's a covenant that God has authored and that God brings about in the hearts of men. He gives them a new heart. Jeremiah 33, 14 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness that sounds familiar doesn't it sounds a lot like Jeremiah 23 5 and 6 it's nearly identical but Judah will be saved through this descendant of David this branch of righteousness Judah will be saved this one whom God is going to bring as a descendant of David this savior Jesus is born and they shall be saved through Yahweh our righteousness. Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. He rode as a king into Jerusalem, and they laid down their coats. They took off their clothing and laid it down for the donkey to ride over to honor him. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, they cried out at the beginning of the week. And at the end, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We have no Lord but Caesar. Oh, saints, the king came to lay down his life and to take it up again. He died under that sign, King of the Jews. And he rose again, conquering sin and death on behalf of all those who repent and confess him as Lord. For the king, says Zechariah 9, 9, the king is coming, your king is coming. He is just and having salvation. Our king is the savior. This babe born and laid in that manger is the savior. He's our king. He's the holy one. He's the savior. Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Nor is there salvation in any other. Hear me. Buddha does not save. Krishna does not save. Shiva does not save. Allah, the idol of Islam, does not save. Jesus alone saves. No system of works righteousness under any would-be God or gods can save. Only the perfect righteousness of Christ applied to you, imputed to you by grace alone, through faith alone, can save. Yahweh's own righteousness is the only righteousness that will satisfy Yahweh. He must look upon you and see the righteousness of His own Son, His own self, appropriated through faith. The Savior is born. Oh, this is cause for joy to the world indeed. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost. You know, what quality of Savior do you have? What quality of salvation do you have? Well, my Jesus, the Jesus, the babe laid in that manger, saves to the uttermost. That's the Savior laid in the manger. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Holy One, the blood of the King, cleanses us from all sin. We have a bloody faith, saints. We have a bloody faith because the wage of sin is death and the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption, no, no remission of sin. I I love to preach this truth that there is no amount of time that will wash away your sin. There's no amount of religion that will take away or wash away your sin. There's no amount of soap and water that will wash away your sin. There's no amount of drugs or alcohol that will drown out your sin. But the blood of Jesus will make you whiter than snow. We'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. We'll open heaven forever to you and shut hell forever to you. That's the power of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, the Savior. His very name means Savior. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1.5 says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Him who loved us. Every day He lived was a day of love. Every step He took was a day of love and a step of love toward that cross that He might die for His people. He loved us and washed us. Past tense, it's past tense, from our sins in His 
own blood. The only sufficient power over sin, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. The King is born. The Holy One is born. The Savior is born. And fourth, the Emmanuel is born. The Emmanuel is born. The God-man is born. Jesus Christ fully and eternally God. One with the Father, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, took upon Himself the additional nature of mankind, coming to the likeness of men, born of the Virgin Mary. Verse 22, Matthew 1, 22, the Emmanuel is born. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Not figuratively, literally. God with us. God has come down in the likeness of man. The Emmanuel is born. All this was done. All this, the angels, shepherds, Joseph, his dream, all this was done. The census, all this was done. Then it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, what is this? Who is this prophet? Where do you find this? Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. Mind you, Jesus is the virgin born son, right? He is, he is born of a virgin. It's not just that his mother at one time was a virgin. No, he is born of a virgin. This is unique in the history of mankind. The virgin shall be a child and bear a son. The virgin shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The virgin born son is Emmanuel, is literally God with us. Fully God, fully man. Fully God, that He's eternally God, eternal deity. And in His deity, He is able to die for an untold number of men and conquer death, rising into the third day. He said that I lay down my life, I take it up. He has the power. Fully man, so that He might die in man's place as an atonement, a substitutionary atonement in our place the only sufficient Savior, God with us. I've mentioned it already, but in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, the Word was God, all things were made through Him, without Him nothing was made that was made. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, possessing the very same glory as the Father, the very same glory, for He is one with the Father. He came from the Father, sent by the Father into this world. He, who is the creator of the world, came into His own creation, humbling Himself, suppressing for a time the full display of His glory. But when He comes again, oh, His glory will be manifest to all. In Romans 1, verse 3, it says, Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, thus He's the Christ, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 
And so Romans opens up with a declaration of his lineage, both from David and from God, and the proof therein being the resurrection. In Hebrews 1, we don't have time to go through it all, but Hebrews chapter 1 is the grand declaration of the deity of Christ. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is spoken of by the Father as certainly the Son, but first born, verse 6, the angels of God are called to worship Him, and only God is worthy of worship. Certainly only God the Father would, would call angels or any being to worship God, not another being, created being. Verse 8, God says to the Son, but to the Son He says, your throne, O God. So God the Father says to the Son, your throne, O God. This is inner Trinitarian conversation, right? The Father, God the Father, says to God the Son, co-equal, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. This is Emmanuel, the King. This is the Father speaking of Him, the begotten One. And then notice in verse 10, again, the Father speaking of the Son to the Son, he says, you, Lord. The Father says to the Son, you, Lord. And if your Bible doesn't have that in all caps, Lord, it should be. Because it's quoted from uh, Psalm 102. And in Psalm 102, it's Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. It's, it's the Lord. It's, it's not just the Lord in the general sense, like master, like in the Greek, kurios. No, it's the Lord, Yahweh, in context. And so in the New Testament there, in Hebrews, it should read as such, You, Lord, Yahweh, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens of the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment. So Yahweh calls Jesus Yahweh and gives him credit for creating everything and being the eternal, immortal God who sustains everything and all the things created subject to the fall will pass away, but the Creator will never pass away. They will grow old like a garment, but he will be forever and ever, and his years will not fail. This is Emmanuel, God with us. The Emmanuel is born. We are four birth announcements in. The King is born. The Holy One is born. Let me not lose track. The Savior is born. And the Emmanuel is born. And now, now what most of the world is looking to, what most of the world is thinking about, the baby is born. The baby. Now mind you, if you don't have the first four points, there really is nothing to celebrate. Take off your red scarves and your red sweaters. Put away your trees and your lights. Do something else. If he's just a babe laid in a manger, there's really nothing to celebrate. He's another sinner among sinners laid in a manger, a lowly sinner among sinners laid in a manger with nobody at his first birthday party but cows and sheep and chickens. There's really nothing to celebrate there. And he's going to grow up to be another sinner and blasphemer like the rest of us? Well, saints, he's so much more than a babe laid in a manger, but he has nothing less. He has nothing less, for he is fully man. He is a babe laid in a manger. Don't let the Gnostics get a hold of you and deny the, the flesh of Christ. 
deny the humanity of Christ. He came in the likeness of men. He walked amongst men. It is glorious to consider that God, a very God, the God who created everything, the God with infinite knowledge and infinite power, entered into creation and walked amongst men. God who is holy, holy, holy. Jesus, holy, holy, holy. Worshipped by the heavenly host, all the angels, day and night, forever and ever, came into creation to walk amongst sinners. To call these disciples, one of which, of course, was a betrayer, but, but even the rest of them betrayed him, right? They all denied him. Peter, the great disciple, denied him with cursing. This is a glorious thing. To have a mother and a father. To have siblings, younger, who would come and mock him along with everybody else at one point, disbelieving, come to collect him as if he'd lost his mind early in his ministry. The baby is born, a real baby, full flesh, full humanity. Verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. A simple explanation of the actual physical birth of baby Jesus. Now, it's at this time that I like to draw your attention, whether we're looking at the cross where it says, and they crucified him, or we're looking at Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's underplayed, humanly speaking. If we were to write a fictional account of a God that we're making up, whether it's the God who created in Genesis 1-1, or the God who was crucified and rose again in the Gospels, or the God who took upon himself the additional nature of mankind and was born of a virgin and laid in a manger, we would tell the story a bit more grandiose. Not a bit. Wildly more grandiose. But this babe was born according to God's providence and God's direction to Joseph, a simple carpenter, to Mary, a young betrothed, virgin wife, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Is that not an understatement? (laughs) And she brought forth her firstborn son. This is the king of kings. This is the holy one. This is the savior. This is the creator. And she brought forth her firstborn son. The Emmanuel, God with us. And he obeyed. Joseph obeyed God. He obeyed God. He called his name Jesus, Yeshua, Savior, Deliverer, Redeemer. The baby is born. Isaiah 9, 6 follows Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14, of course, quoted here in Matthew 1, 23. But Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, a real child, this virgin-born child, this Emmanuel God with us of Matthew 1, 23 of Isaiah 7, 14, is a child, is a, a real human being, a flesh and blood human being. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's a boy child, he's a man child. But he's not just any child. The government will be upon his shoulder. He is the king. 
The government will be upon his shoulder. And he's not just the king. He is the king of kings. All government, all rule, all authority. He is the only potentate. How blasphemous that the pope would dare take that title upon himself. And he does. Jesus is the only potentate. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He's omnipotent God in a manger. A child. A child is born. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Hear me, saints. His government is coming. The full reign of Christ is coming and there will be no end of it. It will extend to the entire cosmos, which He will uncreate and recreate, and in which only righteousness will dwell. And He will rule and reign, He being the light of it all. He will rule and reign in it forever and ever and ever. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And all of God's saints said, Amen and Amen. The King is born. The Holy One is born. The Savior is born. The Emmanuel is born. The baby. Mighty God. Prince of Peace, ruler of Israel, of earth and the cosmos, and you and me is born. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the babe laid in the manger. We thank you for the king who humbled himself, coming to the likeness of men. We thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you for the Holy One, the only holy man to ever walk this earth, to live and to die as a holy man still, and to resurrect as a holy man and God of very God. We thank you that he will forever bear the marks of our iniquities, looking as the Lamb who was slain. We thank you that we will see him one day, and by your grace, by your grace, we'll be in a new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells under the fullness of Emmanuel's love as residents of his kingdom under his government as our only potentate. Oh, Father, increase our love of Jesus. Increase the joy that we have in Jesus, the babe laid in the manger who became the man who hung upon the cross, who is the God-man who walked from the tomb conquering sin and death, who is the King of kings who will come on that great white horse and rule and reign. Increase our faith, our hope, our love, and our joy, Lord, in Christmas, in Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.